Well, we're going to have fun this morning. Glad that you're here. I think you're here for a reason. Um, and I think God's got something for you this morning. So receive what he has this morning. How many of you have heard the phrase, you are what you eat? You've, you've heard that phrase. For me, I have found that that phrase is 1,000% true. This was personified in my freshman year of college. Now, who's heard of the freshman 15? Anybody heard of that phenomenon? The freshman 15, if you're not familiar with it, is within the first semester of your freshman year of college, you put on 15 pounds. Well, me, being an overachiever, I went for the freshman 50. First semester, freshman year, I ate about six cheese and pepperoni quesadillas a day, and I put on the freshman 50 because the truth is you are what you eat. And so I became to look like a cheese and pepperoni quesadilla. <laughs> this is not the only time this has happened in my life. When my wife Christy was pregnant with our second child, I found one of the gifts of God. It is a Dairy Queen blizzard. I had never had one before. So during that entire pregnancy, I made it my commitment to hold down that Dairy Queen there in Waco, Texas. And about four or five days a week, I would go get a Dairy Queen blizzard. I started to look like one. Well, not to be outdone, I used to travel a lot for work and I went to the same place every week and I would stay at the same hotel every week, three or four nights a week. And there happened to be an Outback Steakhouse right next to where I stayed. Well, I like routine and rhythm and order. So I had the same order. When I would get to the hotel after I would visit my clients and, and do my job, each night I had my order. Night one, I would order a double order of the Kickaburra wings. That's 20 buffalo wings. <laughs> Not to be done, outdone by night two, I would order both the Bloomin' Onion and the Aussie cheese fries. <laughs> Needless to say, I have learned the hard truth that you are what you eat. What you take in affects everything. See, it's not just in what we eat. See, I've learned now, I'm, I'm 40, I can't do those things anymore. It's like Honey Nut Cheer Cheerios are my dessert now. Okay, I can't, I can't do anything else. But I've learned that what you digest within you determines a lot. And it's not just in your body, that matters. But it's in your mind. It's in your heart. It affects the way you do life. The things that you digest will determine the direction in which you head. The things that you eat, the words that you eat, the messages that you take in will end up setting the course for where you go. It'll end up setting the course for what you believe. It'll end up setting the course for how you behave. Go ahead and if you've got a Bible, if you've got an app, go to Ezekiel chapter, chapter 2. Ezekiel's, if you're new to the Bible, it's in the Old Testament. It's in the first half. 
Today we're going to talk about the power of a word from God. The power of digesting a word from God. The power of receiving a word from God. See, we believe that God is a speaking God. God spoke all things into existence. God spoke and he inspired people and they wrote the Bible. And God still speaks today. Right now, God wants to speak to you here in this room. God speaks in lots of different ways. He will speak through the Bible. He will speak through friends. He will speak through creation, divine thoughts. But God is a speaking God. And, and God's words have life. And God's desire for us is that we digest, we take in, we eat those words so that they inform the direction of our life. Now let me get back to Ezekiel. What's happening in Ezekiel is that the people of God, the nation of Israel, are learning the hard truth that you are what you eat. See, for, for years, they had stopped eating the commands of God. And they had started eating up the beliefs and customs of the nations around them. They had started taking in their, their worship and their idols and their gods. And now they're reaping the fruit of those choices. They're experiencing the reality that their, their society, their culture is becoming what they've eaten. And they're actually losing the blessing of God. They're losing his, his favor on their life. So Ezekiel shows up, God shows up to Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a priest of the people. And Ezekiel has God visit him. And God says this to him. In Ezekiel chapter 2, he said to me, Son of man, stand to your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. But you, son of man, listen to what I say. Do not rebel like this rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me. And in it was a scroll, and when he, which he unrolled before me. And on both sides of it were written of words of lament, mourning, and woe. Now we'll go to chapter 3. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll. I'm giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. That may seem like a strange prophetic picture. Eat a scroll. Basically, it's like saying, eat this book. But what, what God's saying is, eat my words. Eat what I'm telling you. For years now, the people have been eating the wrong words. Now, Ezekiel, I want to give you a new word that I want you to eat, and then I want you to go give away. Because these people need something new to eat. Be see, because what happens is we are what we eat. We become what we take in. What we digest determines where we go. 
So he says, eat the scroll. Eat the words that I'm giving you. Because you will become what you believe. You will be that what you eat. Let me tell you a little story about that's going to connect to how this is really true. For me, I grew up playing all of the sports. In every season, I played the sports. All of them. And I ended up getting hooked up with a group of kids when I was about five. And we ended up forming a team and we played all sports together. Whatever season it was, it was we played. Some of the same dads coached every sport. And you know what? We ended up being pretty good. I, I ended up being pretty good. Now, I wasn't the best on the team, but I also wasn't the worst. But that wasn't the only thing that happened. These, this team became not just a team, they became my closest friends. Our, our families became close friends. We had pool parties together all the time. We spent the night at each other's houses. We went on vacations together. I have a scar on this knee from where I cut it open at one of their friend's houses and his dad had to take me to the hospital to get stitches and he sat with me there. I mean, these were like tight, tight relationships. We shared life together. We played every sport together and in every season, we did it. Our main sport, like I said, we were good. You know, our main sport was baseball. That's what we were the best at. We were, we went one year, we, we actually went like three years without losing a game. It was, and again, I was not the best player on the team by any stretch. I also wasn't the worst. So one year, we were about 12. The, the dads decided, hey, we need to level up the competition. I think this was after like year three of not losing. They were like, all right, we're not helping these kids by playing in the same league. We need to level up the competition. So maybe it gets a little harder for them. So they're like, all right, if we're going to do that, we need more players. Because we only had like 10 of us. Baseball takes like nine to play. So everybody played all the time. There. If we're going to play at another level, we need more kids. So one day after practice, as we're practicing, the coach came to us and said, hey, there's going to be some new kids here. They're going to be trying out for the team because if we're going to play at this next level, we need more kids on the team. Well, when it came time for that, the coaches, who bear in mind were the dads of my like best friends, decided, well, if we're really going to go to the next level, we don't just need new players. We need to get rid of some of our old players. And so they, they cut about half the team, of which I was one of those that got cut. Now, that happens in life. But the reality, what it did was it didn't just change the way a baseball team played. It changed the way relationships played out. There are people that were part of that, that I still know, that don't talk to each other anymore. Because it ripped relationships apart. For a, 12 year old, for a 12 year old baseball league. It changed the dynamics of my closest friendships. Now, thankfully, I've got great parents. And they sat with me, they cried with me, they prayed for me, and they taught me that I had a choice of how I moved forward. Whether I would 
continue to engage those relationships and forgive, or I could push away and grow cold. And they taught me to lean in, to forgive. And I'm really grateful that they did that for me. But the reality was, is that thing I had known was gone. Now, I moved on. I joined some other teams. Some of those teams were, were good, too. In fact, we beat that team on multiple occasions. Again, on those teams, I wasn't the best player, but I wasn't the worst player. But what happened that was most significant in that moment is I ate some words. There was a thought that got implanted in me that ended up shaping the next 25 years of my life. A thought ended up shaping the next 25 years of my life. It shaped what I did, what I said yes to, what I said no to, how I engaged with people, how I interacted at work. It changed everything for me. And before I, I, I tell you what it was, let me give you a spoiler. It wasn't this overt, nasty lie. It was subtle. It was really sneaky. Because you know, the most effective lies are about 90% truth with a little bit thrown in there. And that's what happened. I believed a subtle, devastating lie. And I ate it again and again and again for more than 20 years. Let me tell you the lie. You're a mediocre player who ends up on good teams. And when I looked at my life, it seemed to reinforce that. Wasn't the best player on the team, but the team was good. Wasn't the worst player on the team, but the team was good. Changed teams. Still seemed true. Moved seasons of life. Still seemed true. Because I had eaten those words. And the reality is, is you are what you eat. What you take in is actually end up, ends up shaping how you see the world around you. This is not just my thought. Psychologists actually call these mental maps of reality. They're reference points by which we navigate our world. Neurobiologists talk about how the, hu how the human being is, is wired for story or narrative. Sociologists, they call it worldview. Often followers of Jesus frame it as faith. What do you have faith for? The reality is we're saying the same thing. We're just using different words. These mental maps, stories, narratives, even the faith in which you view the world through become the way that you navigate life. They're the words that you eat. They're the stories that you are digesting. And they determine how you view yourself in the world. What is, cap what is possible? What you're capable of? What the realities are? 
See, we have these mental maps or these narratives for every area of our life. We have them for our money. We have them for sexuality. We have them for relationships. There are working theories. And they're usually based on some sort of evidence or experience that we've had in our life. And they tell us this is how things actually work. There's a philosopher and renowned Bible teacher, a guy named Dallas Willard. And he said, these are our assumptions about reality. But what happens when these mental maps or, or worldviews or narratives are, are rooted in something that's wrong? What happens when they're shaped by loss and pain? What happens when they're built around a lie or some partial truth? The reality is, is we end up lost. See, you can be heading in this direction and get off just 10 degrees. It may not seem like a big difference, but that little difference over the course of time takes you in a totally different area. You're not even in the same zip code anymore. You're not even in the same state anymore. You end up in a whole new area. So let me ask you a question. What are you eating? What words are you eating? What is the narrative that you are daily digesting? What's the story that you tell yourself? When things get hard, what plays out? When you find yourself at work, what plays out? When you're in your relationships, what plays out? Because there's a story being told. Everybody's got one. Yours is not mine and mine is not yours. It's not the same as your neighbor's. It's shaped by your experience. The evidence of what your perceived reality is. And it'll shape everything. It'll shape everything. And it won't always be this overt thing. See, the devil works covertly. He doesn't work with fireworks, making it obvious to, where, to you what he's going to do. He tries to sneak in there. A little whisper, a little doubt, a little confusion. You're a mediocre player who's just ended up on good teams. That'll impact how you do everything. It'll impact what you become a part of. And it did for me. I've been a part of Antioch for 20 years. When I first walked in those doors 20 years ago as a college student at Baylor University, I walked into a church that had a variety of generations all running after something. There were people who love God, love life, live free. They were going after reaching their neighbors and the nations. It was inspiring. It was a good team. And I thought, I may not, I may not have much to offer, but at least I can be a part of something great. I can be a part of something here. I'll just sit on the back row and do my little bit. And so I plugged in. But I plugged in in a way that I was insignificant. I don't have much to give. I'm just happy to be here. 
Happy they'll let me stay. Because remember, I'm a mediocre player. I just end up on good teams. Later when I went into my career, and before I was in ministry, I worked in the marketplace and pharmaceuticals. You know, I, I kept silent. Again, this thing shaped me for more than 20 years. I kept silent in meetings. I didn't have a voice. My thoughts didn't matter. Because again, I'm a middle-of-the-road person. Why would I speak up in a meeting? Why would I share my thought? Somebody else has already had that thought. There's way smarter people in here than me. Why speak up? Somebody else has already probably said it. They've probably already tried it. You know, I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. You know what? Don't risk too much. Don't say too much. Because what if this team gets broken up too? What if this thing changes? See, this narrative that I had eaten over the years became such a part of me that I no longer recognized it for what it was. I no longer recognized it as a lie. Actually, I never recognized it as a lie because I just ate it so often. But the reality was, it, it was a lie. It became such a part of me that I believed it was valuable. Some of us have lies that we believe are valuable to our life, but just because we've eaten them so much, not because they're true. This became so true for me that I actually stood on a stage and preached and used this phrase that I'm a mediocre player who's ended up on good teams as a point in a message to drive home what I was going for because I thought it had value. It was after that message, I remember walking off stage, getting in my car, and I had a Peter moment where God confronted me. And in a very loving but direct way, confronted me and said, you've been believing the wrong thing. And you just spoke about it from a stage. And he corrected me. And in God's kindness, and we're going to see how he does this in a minute. But what he did is he didn't just correct me, he gave me a new word. He gave me a new scroll to eat. And as I sat there in my car, honestly brokenhearted, God released a new word to me. And he said, for years you've believed you're a mediocre player who's ended up on good teams. But son, let me tell you, you're a uniquely gifted player who has made good teams great. And he began to walk me through all the way back to when I was 12 years old. Instances where this was true. Yeah, I wasn't the best player on the team, but I was uniquely gifted. See, when I played baseball, I was the catcher. If you don't know anything about baseball, it's kind of like being the quarterback of a team. I couldn't run fast. In fact, I ran the 40 once in six seconds flat. 
I wasn't all that great of a hitter, but I was a really good catcher. I ended up being so good that other teams would end up asking me to join their team. When I played basketball, I almost never scored. But year after year, I won Defensive Player of the Year. I was relentless. I couldn't shoot for anything. But they'd put me on the, the, the opposing team's top scorer because I was relentless. I would wear them out because I was a uniquely gifted player who makes good teams great. And see, what God did is he began to speak to me. And he began to tell me and correct me and show me how this lie had moved me off the right direction. And he began to put me back on a new path. He began to put me in the right place. So because that's what God does. God shows up in the middle of our story, even when we've been believing the wrong story, and he will rewrite that story for us. He will give you a new word. Just like he showed up to Ezekiel and he said, eat this scroll. This morning, I want you to know, God is looking at you and saying, eat this scroll. He, you're here because God wants to give you a new scroll. Because I guarantee you there's a narrative at some place in your story that you are believing that is not fully true. And it is affecting more than you think. It's impacting you more than you realize. And God in his kindness wants to show up and he wants to give you a new story. He wants to give you some new words. It may not be this massive overt thing that has you completely off in a ditch. It may just have you a little bit off. A narrative about your relationships. A narrative about your abilities. A narrative about your finances. It's a narrative somewhere. Yours is not mine and mine is not yours, but I know God is good enough to show up in your story in the middle of you believing a wrong narrative and give you a new one. I know that to be true because that's what he did for me, but it's what he did for Peter. I said I had a Peter moment. This is where Jesus showed up in Peter's life and brought the right narrative. In John chapter 21. Before I read to you John chapter 21, let me give a little context for what's happening. John chapter 21 is the last chapter in John. What we're about to encounter is the resurrected Jesus. Jesus has gone to the cross. He has died. He has been buried. He's been raised up to life. He's conquered sin and death in this story, in this moment. You know, the same time that Jesus was doing those things, Peter was experiencing some things. Peter, who had experienced Jesus call him the rock, who he was going to be this great leader. Peter, who saw the empty tomb of Jesus. Peter, who watched Jesus walk through the walls just one chapter earlier. The resurrected Jesus appear through the walls and say, I'm here. Is the same Peter that a few days before had denied Jesus three times in his moment of great need. 
And so we find Peter back on a fishing boat. Now the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us why Peter went back fishing, but it was his old life. It was the old thing that he used to do before he met Jesus. Can you imagine the embarrassment, the shame, the guilt that was hanging on Peter? Three times you denied him, Pete. You were supposed to be the rock. And you just withered. You know, leader, go back fishing. Get back on that boat. What do you have to offer? I've been there trying to run after God yet feeling like I failed miserably. So Peter lays down the new calling of being a fisher of men and picks up the old one and gets back on the boat. And that's where Jesus shows up. Jesus tells him to throw his nets on the other side of the boat. They catch, once again, an unbelievable haul of fish, and they come in, Jesus makes them breakfast, and then he sits down with Peter to have a conversation. John 21, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said this to him. The words he said to him many years ago, follow me. He invited him back in to the right narrative. He said, take this scroll, Peter, and eat it. I said you're the rock. I said you're a leader. I said I would use you. Why did Jesus ask Peter three times I just think Peter needed it. I think he needed all three of those denials to be wiped away. He needed that narrative of you're just a denier. You're weak. You'll just fall away. He needed that thing to be wiped away. And so Jesus showed up. And he said, let me rewrite the story. Let me give you 
a new scroll to eat. We need to eat a new scroll today. We need to eat some fresh words. We need to take in what Jesus wants to say to you. We're going to carve out some space right now to let God show up in your story and speak to you. Because you have a narrative. It's probably already popped in your head at some point while I've been talking. Something about your life, some thought that you believe about yourself. Maybe it comes from, you know, a teacher or a coach that you had that was just relentless towards you. Nothing was ever good enough. And so you feel like you only have worth unless you're successful in what you do. You can't have worth any other way than that. Maybe you had a parent that didn't let you get away with, like your mistakes never went away. They, they could come up at any moment. The things that you screwed up in, the errors that you made. And so you, now you feel like you gotta be perfect in order to have peace. And it's just eating you up. You got a narrative somewhere. Maybe it's about your money, that there's never gonna be enough. Maybe it's about your relationships. That you're just gonna disappoint people. Let's let God rewrite the narrative. Let's take a moment and we're gonna pause. They're gonna keep playing. And I wanna ask you to just close your eyes for a moment. I know this may make some of you uncomfortable, but just everybody else got their eyes closed, so just go with it. God, we thank you that before we get started, let me just pray. God, we thank you that you're a speaking God. So right now we ask that you would come and we're expecting you to rewrite some stories. We're expecting you to change some narratives. We're expecting you to highlight some lies that we've been believing and bring about correction so that we can actually be who you've made us to be. So God, I ask that right now you would silence our own flesh, silence distractions so that we can just hear you. As you sit there, what's the narrative? Just hold it in your mind. What's the thing that you've believed about yourself? Mine was I'm a mediocre player who ends up on good teams. What's yours? And as you sit there, we're just going to ask that the Holy Spirit would come and would take that from you. Some of you are visual people. You'll even, in your mind's eye, imagine the Holy Spirit taking that wrong scroll from you. takes it from you and now he's going to give you a new one, a new word, a new truth. You're a uniquely gifted player. 
who makes good teams great. Just sit there in that moment and let him speak to you. revealing to you, whether it be a a phrase for you. Maybe it's a picture. Maybe God is showing you something in your spirit. Maybe he's just, his presence is coming on you and you're feeling a real sense of peace. I want you to write down, make a note in your phone, text yourself, grab a pen and one of the bulletins there in front of you and just write it down. Make note of it. leave here without remembering what God's saying. We do that because we need to eat this new scroll over and over and over. We need to eat it again and again because we've got an ingrained pattern of eating the old one. And if we're going to see that thing changed in our life, we've got to make a new pattern of taking in these new words taking in the new word that God is saying to you. you go ahead and stand to your feet. God, I thank you that you're rewriting stories today. And God, we believe that when you step in and you rewrite a story, God, we can't even imagine all the impact that that is going to have on someone's life. So God, we believe that we're going to see dramatic things take place because your words will take root in lives and they will bear kingdom fruit, fruit that is multiplied 30, 60, and 100 fold. So God, I ask that every word that you spoke today would fall on good soil that they would settle in hearts and we would be changed because of it. We pray it in Jesus' name.